This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. We're going to get started here with our first guest, and he is Tony Daunt, Executive Director of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Tony Daunt, thanks for being our guest. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure to join you. Okay. Let me ask you right off the bat, what does your group do? Well, goodness, how much time do you have? No, no, Um, very quickly. (laughs) We, we're a conservative advocacy organization, um, you know, based here in, in Michigan, uh, work out of downtown Lansing, uh, engage with the legislature and the grassroots on behalf of conservative policies. Uh, got our start back in um, you know, late 2012 related to uh, defeating Proposal 2, which was the, um, the ballot initiative seeking to enshrine various collective bargaining rights into the Constitution and then pushing for... Uh, the right-to-work legislation. And uh, from there, we've branched out to a much broader uh, conservative spectrum on uh, less regulation, uh, getting government out of the way, letting folks make their own decisions on how they best see fit to uh, live their lives. Okay, well, let me ask you my first question. The former director of the Department of Health and Human Services, Robert Gordon, resigned under mysterious circumstances in January and he was given a $155,000 separation payout by the Gretchen Whitmer administration. And the governor and Gordon say they signed a confidential agreement not to talk about why Gordon quit. Is this routine? Doesn't it happen all the time? I mean, Democrats are defending the governor, pointing out that Republican legislative leaders have engaged in exactly the same practice with their employees for years and that their criticism of Whitmer is rank hypocrisy. Whether it is or not, shouldn't there be more transparency in government about these incidents? Um, Absolutely. Um, You know, from our perspective at the Freedom Fund, in my perspective personally, um, it doesn't matter what the party uh, affiliation of the individuals engaging in this type of uh, taxpayer-funded agreement uh, are. It's not appropriate. And uh, they're charged with utilizing the funds we give them in the form of our tax dollars uh, appropriately and efficiently and purchasing the silence of people like Director Gordon for $155,000 is a severe abuse of that um, in trust. And uh, $155,000 is a significant chunk of money to do a job. It's, it's even more when you consider it's to, it's to not do a job and to be quiet. Um, it's, it's not necessarily even the severance. It's the silence that's the most damaging revelation here. And I think we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget the fact that just because they have this confidentiality agreement, um, the governor could, in light of the uh, uproar on this, she could release Director Gordon from the need to protect this confidentiality, and I think she should. And I think people should continue that pressure, uh, trying to get to the bottom of what it is he's remaining silent about. The legislature, uh, at least the House, is uh, moving forward a package of bills that would provide more transparency. They just passed them yesterday, uh, sent them over to the Senate. Uh, do you think that'll solve the problem? 
I think any move in the direction of additional transparency here in Michigan um, and, and anywhere in government is, is a positive move. And I think if these, if these bills uh, do help get to the bottom of these types of payments, if they prohibit them in the future, it's, it's a good step. But, um, you know, just as we were uh, getting ready to go on here, um, I realized and I noticed that there was a news update that the governor and her administration have basically doubled down on these arrangements, creating a formal policy uh, saying you can basically keep doing this. Uh, it's it's um, incredible how brazen this governor and her team are um, and how hypocritical they are on this issue of transparency. This is somebody in, in this governor who on the third day um, of her term, January 3rd, 2019, made a big show about having a transparent and ethical government. And I think this is a complete opposite of what she pledged to do uh, just a mere two years ago. And uh, I hope the legislature continues to take steps to enhance the transparency. And I hope uh, the media and the legislature continue the pressure on the governor and the director um, to, to release the terms of this and why it is they're working so hard to remain quiet. Okay, Tony Dawn, let's move to another topic. Uh, Macomb County Prosecuting Attorney Pete Lucido, a former state senator, is investigating whether any families in his jurisdiction, that would be Macomb County, suffered deaths because of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's policy of placing COVID-19 patients in nursing homes, similar to what was done in New York. Lucido says if he gets evidence that senior citizens died in Macomb County because of this policy, he will file criminal charges against the governor. Is this a valid undertaking? Well, you know, I, I, I think I, I don't speak with, uh, with uh, Mr. Lucido. Um, I certainly spoke with him when he was a state senator, but haven't had much interaction since he ran for prosecutor. But I can, I can tell you that um, when we look at the perhaps precedent of, of the Flint situation, and uh, the folks in the Snyder administration, including the governor himself, who have been charged for um, alleged negligence there, I think it's, it's only fair uh, and only just that um, we, we take the same skeptical look towards the actions of this governor and her administration um, related to nursing homes. Again, this gets to the issue of, of transparency and a willingness of this governor to work with and listen to other voices and other opinions on how best to handle this. Um, Governor Cuomo in New York is in a whole tub of hot water related to this policy and the fact that his team admitted they were covering up information, and he quit the policy of moving people into nursing homes with COVID um, in May of last year, I believe it was, in the spring, and the governor continued to do so um, into and through the summer. And so um, I think it's it's very appropriate that we look into this and speak with people who are affected by it and take the appropriate steps to remedy it and hold the appropriate people accountable. Tony Don, the Republican majority in the legislature tie-barred this week millions of dollars in COVID-19 relief money to language limiting the governor's power to issue unilateral executive orders related to the pandemic. They put this in several supplemental appropriation bills for the current fiscal year, and they sent them to the governor. This week, Gretchen Whitmer vetoed several of these bills and said that she will try to spend all the money in bills she signed 
while challenging the right of the legislature to restrict her powers, which she contends is a violation of what she calls the subject title clause, which is a technical term that essentially says you can't mix oil and water. Now the Senate says it will sue her for doing this. Where is this going? Uh, Like much of uh, this governor's two years in office, this seems to fit a pattern where if it's not her way, um, it's the highway. And she'll take any step she can, whether it falls within constitutional boundaries or not, to, uh, to try and get away with these types of actions. And she's been, um, she's been humiliated uh, you know, publicly, politically, and legally um, by, by the legislature and by the Supreme Court at numerous steps for this type of action. Um, you know, I, I think certainly, uh, given her history, we're probably going to see this end up in the courts in some fashion. Um, she just doesn't seem to understand how government works here in Michigan, that uh, she's the executive, We've got Republicans in control of the legislature, and uh, they have every right, and the people they represent have every right to be part of the discussion on these policies and how this money is spent and how we react to COVID. Um, It's not a surprise. Um, This is the same individual, the same governor, who proposed a ridiculous 45 cents per gallon gas tax increase at the beginning of her term in 19 and spent an entire year beating people up because they weren't going to support it when it had at best, 20% support from the public. Yeah, listen, Tony Dawn, I have so many more questions I'd love to ask you, but we're out of time. It goes so fast. Thank you, Tony Dawn, Executive Director of the Michigan Freedom Fund, for being our guest. You bet. Happy to be here. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have another guest, and he is former state representative Pete Lund, and he is senior advisor with Americans for Prosperity. He used to represent the 36th House District in Macomb County, I think from 2009, 2015, three two-year terms. He's a Republican from Shelby Township at the time. Welcome, Pete Lund, to the Political Insider. It is an honor to be with you, Bill, as always. (laughs) Well, let me ask you, uh, tell me, first of all, just Americans for Prosperity, what's their history and what does your group do? Well, Americans for Prosperity has been around for, oh, it's been a while now and we developed from other organizations, but we basically are are trying to get involved to help people by breaking down barriers that are preventing them from succeeding. Um, so often we see government laws that may have good intent were put in place and are actually holding people back from achieving all they can personally. So that's one of our main goals is to really try to get government out of the way, people being able to succeed and make their lives and their families' lives better. Well, Pete Lund, I think you know very well the Macomb County prosecuting attorney, uh, Pete Lucido. In fact, I think he succeeded you in the House. Yes, he did. And he is investigating whether any families suffered deaths because of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's policy of placing COVID-19 patients in nursing homes. Well, let's clarify. We all know that her policy did that. What he's trying to figure out, I think, more specifically, is is there a legal avenue that can be taken against her? But we all know that people were put into those nursing homes that didn't come out alive, and they were put in because of her policy. 
Well, okay, he says if he gets evidence that senior citizens died in Macomb County because of this policy, he will file criminal charges against the governor. Is that a valid undertaking, in your opinion? I'm I'm not an attorney, and I don't play one on TV, and I don't want to play one on the radio even. (laughs) Uh, But, look, if you're a prosecutor and you see that a law has been violated, it's your duty and the oath you swore is that you're going to prosecute. So if he finds that there are laws broken, he should charge her, period. Okay, let me ask you another question. The Republican majority in the legislature, just think if you were sitting there today, uh, tie-barred millions of dollars in COVID-19 relief money to language limiting the governor's power to issue unilateral executive orders related to the pandemic. And they put this in several supplemental appropriation bills for the current fiscal year, and they sent them to the governor. This week, Gretchen Whitmer vetoed several of these bills and said that she will try to spend all the money in bills she signed while challenging the right of the legislature to restrict her powers, which she contends is a violation of the subject title clause, which is a technical term that essentially says you can't mix oil and water. Uh, Bill, just because it's the subject title clause doesn't mean we're her subjects. (laughs) Well, that's a good way to put it. Uh, Uh, You know, look, again, I'm I'm not a lawyer. Uh, This is a very technical thing. But let's look at the bigger picture and get away from the legal aspect. She keeps talking about, on one hand, she wants to work with the legislature. And on the other hand, she's vetoing bills and completely ignoring the desire of the elected people from the state. So she's got to figure out what she wants. Does she, does she want to work with the legislature to you know, help the people in Michigan? And look, the legislature isn't trying to pass things like right to work or any the good stuff we did. They're just trying to help the people live real lives, open things up to a degree that other states have. And you know, she's got to decide, does she want to work with them or does she want to fight them the whole way her entire time in office? Well, uh, you're not a lawyer, you say, but you were a legislator. And now the Senate, by the way, just on Thursday said it will sue the governor if she tries to spend money she vetoed uh, without agreeing to the content of the language, which says that certain restrictions should be placed on her power in conjunction with her spending the money the legislature sent her. So, I mean, this could end up as litigation, but that could drag out to a point where it's going to be irrelevant by the time a decision is made, right? Well, you never know. Something like this, this spending, you would hope that the courts would uh, hear the arguments immediately and be able to rule on it. But clearly, but clearly the problem isn't the lawsuit. And if, if Senator Shirky decides to go forward with the lawsuit, that's well within his rights, and it sure seems like it's the right thing to do. But it also should be a signal to the governor that she needs to truly negotiate and work with the House and the Senate. And again, not try to govern by her own one party, one person rule. Let me go to another topic. And I don't know whether this is something interesting to Americans for Prosperity or not. But as you know, the former director of the State Department of Health and Human Services, Robert Gordon, resigned under mysterious circumstances, shall we say, back in January. And he was given a $155,000 separation payout by the Whitmer administration. The governor and Gordon say they signed a confidential agreement not to talk about why Gordon quit. Is this routine? Doesn't it happen all the time? 
I mean, Democrats defending the governor point out that Republican legislative leaders have engaged in exactly the same practice with their employees for years and that their criticism of Whitmer is rank hypocrisy. Whether it is or not, shouldn't there be more transparency in government about incidents like these? Incidents like these should absolutely be 100 percent transparent. Uh, Even if there is a reason for them to, to exist, and I'm not sure that there are for a public body, that needs to be made public and not hidden. I mean, is he the only one? Are there other ones out there that we don't know about? And I'm not just talking about the governor. It's the same thing with the legislature. It should be open to the people. They should know how their dollars are being spent. You know, every dollar has to go through the uh, uh, appropriations process. And governor, of course, has certain uh, degree of freedom. She can spend money certain ways, and so does the legislature, and so do the courts. That's understandable. But something like this needs to be easily seen, and I think that's why you're seeing more and more of a push for FOIA reform to allow the people to find out just what's being hidden in these uh, this spending. You know, we talked before, I remember when I first came in office, the big thing was having the state's checkbook being online, where every person could see every check that's being looked at. It seemed having 20 million eyes being able to look and go through those bills to see if something looks fishy. Well, something like that it would make it a lot easier for the people of the state to be able to see what's going on and how their dollars are being spent. Pete Lund, uh, what else does Americans for Prosperity have on its plate? What issues are you really concerned about right now? Well, we do a whole, you know, we're spending a lot of time on things, uh, especially in the healthcare field, where we think we can find some agreement between the two parties. Uh, things like certificate of need that are keeping uh, resources for people's health care away from where it's actually needed because it's being controlled by government agencies. Things like that, we believe, should actually be out there that allow people to uh, have more freedom, let the market self-dictate where the people want their resources for their health care. The type of thing that it's been around for years and it really has no place in uh, current America. We're not the only state that does it. I I will say, Bill, I'm surprised. I thought I came on to discuss the Kentucky Derby this year. Hey, that's fine with me. And also, I know you're a big Detroit Lions fan. So was the Stafford for Jared Goff trade a good one? It's the Detroit Lions. <laughs> it just, look, let's be serious. Whatever they do, it hasn't worked right for my entire lifetime. So I've, I, look, there's our, you know, our big Super Bowl is, is the draft. That's coming up because, you know, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, the Super Bowl is just a TV show. <laughs> Well, but you're still a loyal Lions fan, I can tell. You are. Uh, And I I am, too. It's brutal. I know it's brutal. But listen, thank you, Pete Lund, Senior Advisor with Americans for Prosperity, for being our guest. Take care, Bill, anytime. Have a great weekend. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have still another guest who really knows what he's talking about when it comes to the subject at hand, and he is Craig Thiel, Research Director of the Citizens Research Council, highly esteemed and nonpartisan. Craig Thiel, thanks for being our guest. Well, thanks for having me back, Bill. Well, Craig, uh, let's concentrate first on the current fiscal year ending this coming September 30th and the state of the budget at this time. It was reported this week that revenue, I think, has come into the state treasury early this year at about $500 million more than had been estimated. Then there 
are all the COVID-19 fiscal relief federal funds approved by Congress late last year, some of which I think is supposed to find its way into Michigan in some form, if it hasn't already. And let's not even mention yet the historic $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package that was approved this week by Congress and President Joe Biden. We'll talk about that in a few minutes and what lies ahead with that. But what is the status of this year's budget right now, Craig Thiel, and what may happen next? Well, Bill, great question. Um, the, the, the story of this year's budget actually goes back to last year when the pandemic hit, and there was just uh, a great deal of concern about the condition of the budget at the time, if you remember last March, uh, about a year ago when this hit, um, the the 2020 budget was already in place, and in fact, many into it, and there was concern that the bottom was going to fall out of the budget, both in terms of the revenue coming in with the shutdown orders and the economic slowdown, um, that tax revenues would dry up last year, and that spending would increase to address the concerns arising out of the pandemic. So, you know, legislators and the governor acted quickly uh, last year to get the budget into play, get it get it balanced. Um, and, and largely, the, those solutions relied on the federal resources that came through the CARES Act and moving some balances, some 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 surpluses around to patch up the budget. What turned out to happen is that the economy, uh, employment has been hit remarkably hard, but the other drivers of, of economic uh, uh, juice for state and local tax revenues was really didn't dry up. Um, you know, the federal government propped up uh, uh, consumer spending as well as uh, personal income with transfers in the way of unemployment insurance and the stimulus checks. And as a, as a result, the, the budget never really bottomed out like what was expected. And, and so coming into this year, things looked like really good. We had a, a huge budget surplus from the prior year um, that was sitting around because the federal government kind of helped us balance our budget. So the current year budget was put together more or less uh, with the thought that We'll, we'll spend down these one-time uh, surpluses this year, and uh, then when the 2020 bud, 2022 budget comes around, we'll have to get to uh, reconciling, you know, with the state resources. But the fact is, the federal government keeps supplying us with federal money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. And, and so the budget hasn't hasn't really bottomed out as predicted. And you mentioned the 500 million. Uh, increase in state tax revenues. That's been an, an ongoing theme here. Um, it, like I said, the, 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 the revenue estimators uh, had predicted at one point a $6.2 billion shortfall across two fiscal years. Um, what we found out is revenues have only dropped about $200 million across the two major funds, the general fund and the school aid fund. And so uh, the, the budget's in really good condition right now. <laughs> Well, okay, it's in good condition, but as you know, the Republicans sent a supplemental appropriation to the governor uh, last week uh, with a lot of uh, COVID-19 relief money in there, and uh, they attached language which would limit the governor's power to uh, issue unilateral executive orders related to the pandemic, and they put this 
in these bills. She vetoed several of these bills and said that she will try to spend all the money in bills that she signed while challenging the right of the legislature to restrict her powers, which she contends is a violation of the subject title clause, which is a technical term that essentially says you can't mix oil and water. Uh, now the Senate is saying it's going to sue her if she <laughs> tries to do this. So where is this going? Right. So the supplemental, um, and there's actually two. There's one for kind of the general government operations, and then there's one for schools. All told, we're looking at about $3.5 uh, billion, and, and the vast majority of this is federal relief dollars that have been allocated to the state, as well as um, some, some state dollars uh, from that surplus that I talked about previously. So that supplemental has been um, kind of queued up for a while. The governor had, had her recommendation to the legislature weeks ago, and the legislature passed, uh, each chamber passed those, their, their respective versions of it. And then they got together, came to a consensus, passed their supplemental bill, sent them to the governor. And as you point out, they had these key... Um, Provisions. Each one has a, a provision, a tie bar, uh, to some other legislation. Uh, one uh, of the supplemental bills, the, the kind of the general uh, supplemental bill that has to do with, uh, you know, getting uh, vaccines out, testing, um, the, the, the health and human services uh, budget component of this. Uh, federal funds were uh, linked to a provision uh, allowing the governor to only issue uh, public health emergency orders under the, uh, the Department of uh, Health and Human Services for uh, a, a period of a month. Right now, those are uh, limitless in terms of the time period. So that was a condition put on those funds. And then in the education supplemental, uh, which totaled about $1.7 billion, about um, half of that money, about 800 uh, uh, million that's designated for schools. This is money that Congress has already appropriated for schools. Uh, was was tied up uh, or tie barred to a provision that would require the governor to cede some of her authority for shutting down public schools in the state and shifting that to local health departments. Um, both of those provisions are now, you know, having the lawyers look at, you know, what is and what is not constitutional as, as in terms of putting those conditions on those dollars. Well, so, let's say let's say she just goes ahead and spends the money and the legislature sues her. Um, probably she's going to get an advisory opinion, I expect, from Attorney General Dana Nessel, which I expect will support what the governor wants to do. Uh, and that will stand unless it's overturned by a court. I mean, how long can this go on, and what happens if it's never resolved? Does a lot of this money remain unspent? Well, let's talk about the education dollars at $850 uh, million roughly. So the, the legislature and the governor agreed um, that approximately uh, half of the $1.7 billion I mentioned will go out, and there's really no problems with that. So that money is going out to schools. This other $800 million, uh, the legislature's view is it's, it's, the state has the authority to spend it, uh, but it requires an appropriation and, and, and an appropriation that the governor would agree to. Um, and right now, the governor has said 
uh, I don't agree with this language, so I'm going to go ahead and pursue uh, looking at spending this money. Um, you know, the money will stay in in the Treasury until um, until this, this, this legal question is worked out. Uh, the federal government will come ask if we don't spend the money, we don't appropriate the money and then spend it. The government, federal government will come asking for it, but not for uh, a couple years still. The, the money is uh, laid out until the end of September 2022 with an extra year uh, to spend down to 2023. So there is some time for the legislature and the governor to get um, on the same page with this. I would just point out that, you know, schools need to know now if they're going to have this money in the summer to provide uh, summer programming, out-of-school programming for the kids that have been impacted by the pandemic. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, what has just happened in Congress and in Washington with President Joe Biden and the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package with Craig Thiel. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with Craig Thiel, who is research director for the Citizens Research Council. I want to ask you, Craig Thiel, the money coming into Michigan state and local governments from the massive $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package passed by the Democratic Congress and signed by President Joe Biden this week is a whopping $10.3 billion here in Michigan, almost as much as the state's entire annual general fund. What happens next? Does it all have to be spent this fiscal year and next? Can it be strung out so that it will bail the states out of any fiscal worries for years to come? What if the state doesn't spend it all, particularly if there is wrangling between the governor and legislators? Is there a deadline for spending action? Could some of the money be returned to Washington eventually? Should it be? I ask you, Craig Thiel. Yes. Um, well, a new administration, new money, um, $10 billion, a massive sum by any stretch. Um, I looked back in the Great Recession, and we didn't even get a fraction of this uh, support from the federal government to help us uh, help state and local governments manage through that period. Just on the school money alone, just in terms of the K-12 support, last go-around, we got about $1.5 billion total to help keep K-12 through budgets whole. That was during the Great Recession. This time around, if you factor in the, the Biden uh, rescue plan, K-12 through schools are going to get $6.2 billion. Wow. That's over four times what was provided um, to schools um, in the Great Recession. Now, state government, Michigan state government, um, you know, this is the, the apparatus that funds the 20 departments, the governor's office, the legislature, is standing to get $5.5 billion in this allocation. Now, this money is, for the most part, string-free. The state's going to be able to use this how it wants to in terms of funding COVID-related programs, backfilling revenue losses. As I mentioned, we haven't seen the revenue losses that some predicted um, so it's going to be a, a, a contentious issue 
uh, as the legislature tries to negotiate with the governor on, you know, how to use this money. And, and, and the evidence is, you know, this supplemental that has been somewhat, uh, the process has been drawn out considerably. So uh, if that's over $1.7 billion, what's the negotiation going to look like over $5.5 billion? Yeah, well, I asked the same question that I did just a few minutes ago, and that is, can this money be strung out over a number of years? I mean, can it just pile up at the end of every fiscal year and carry it over to the next and carry it over to the next until finally maybe at some point the governor and the legislature, whatever the legislature looks like at that time and whoever the governor is, agrees that, okay, we can spend this now. Well, the way it usually works with these federal grants, and they are federal grants, is that the states make an application. The application says, you know, what you're going to use it for, how you're going to use it. The federal government, by and large, makes sure the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. And then it's up to the state to decide how to use it. And, yes, there's time limits on these federal appropriations. They don't all – this money doesn't all have to be spent in this current fiscal year, 21 or 22, there will be opportunities to spread this over multiple years. Um, you know, where the, the real action is going to lie is in the, the halls of the Capitol and with the, the governor negotiating how to use this. Um, as I pointed out, the budget's in fairly good condition right now. So for purposes of filling holes, this money really isn't needed. Now, the question is, what can it be used for in terms of responding to COVID and after COVID coming out of, you know, the, the recovery? Um, the the $5.5 billion, as you pointed out, uh, for the state is about half of the state's general fund in an, in an entire year. So the prudent thing is definitely going to be to spend this over a period of years. The question is, what programs, how much, and over what period of time? That's all subject to negotiations this summer with the between the governor and the legislature. Well, even though this is supposed to be a COVID-19 relief package, you say there are really no strings from the federal government attached. So in other words, the negotiations could be over all sorts of things, uh, not related to COVID-19 at all. COVID-19 may disappear by 2022, we can only hope, uh, or 23. And uh, the legislature and the governor will know this, and they'll say, okay, we're going to spend it on a whole bunch of other different things. Is that okay with the federal government? That's going to be okay with the federal government. This is to provide broad relief, economic relief, uh, to uh, states and then localities, because local governments in Michigan are going to share in about $4.4 billion uh, allocated across um, large urban areas as well as rural areas in the state, including small townships, are all going to get a piece of this this pie. Um, And it's more or less up to local and state governments decide how to use this money. Um, And it's designed to be flexible because, you know, COVID has had different impacts on the finances uh, as well, you know, just the revenue side, but also the spending side. Uh, across the country. Some common things, but some very different things depending on the community you're in. Well, I'll ask again the same question I asked a few minutes ago. Is there a deadline for spending action? I mean, could some of this money, at least theoretically, be reeled back in by the federal government because Michigan doesn't have its act together and can't get it spent? I would hope it doesn't come to this um, because our loss is obviously going to be another state's gain. Um, it's not like 
taxpayers of Michigan are going to get the money back <laughs> if the government yeah. doesn't spend the money. Unfortunately, right. Congress doesn't work that way. Um, and, and, yes, there's a real possibility at some point if, the, you know, policymakers don't get their act together to appropriate this, you know, uh, around some consensus that it could get it returned. Um, the practical effect is that's probably not going to come to be, Bill. Um, okay, well, let, let me ask, uh, could some of this money be put in the state's rainy day fund? Which well, is- it doesn't say that you can't do that. There are some provisions, limitations on using the money exactly, uh, you know, dollar for dollar to, to, to uh, fill a tax cut that the state might. So you can't do that. But in terms of socking it away for a future use, that could be a possibility. You also can't use the money to pay down pension debt. That was a, a, a provision in the in the uh, in the bill. You could spend the money, use the money for infrastructure investment. Clearly, an issue that uh, this governor has highlighted as a as a priority. The legislature has uh, made multiple attempts to. Uh, provide additional resources for road funding in the state. So I, I suspect that'll be uh, an area that gets some attention. Um, there are, you know, a few prohibitions, but by and large, it's discretionary money to help states manage through this, this what was originally envisioned to be a, you know, a horrendous budget challenge, but it's just not materializing that way. Well, in other words, we could uh, see our roads and bridges fix, uh, fix the damn roads, remember that theme, uh, without uh, a 45 cent per gallon increase in the gas tax, right? Um, Yeah, any number of infrastructure projects could be, you know, could be used for this this money here. Um, It's one-time money. Infrastructure generally are one-time investments. Um, So, you know, Looking into my crystal ball, that could likely be an area of, of uh, compromise and consensus. Um, you know, how that money gets distributed across the strait, that'll be another an issue. But infrastructure's cur- clearly at the top of, of a lot of people's minds when you look at this, this size of this uh, investment in state government. Is there anything else the Citizens Research Council and you in particular are looking at right now with this whole uh, mammoth, confusing fiscal scene that deserves note. Yeah, I, I, I do. And some, some high-level uh, advice we have for policymakers, with all this federal money coming down and the time limits on there, and there are time limits, it, it makes sense to use the federal mo- government's money first before we spend state dollars. So our recommendation is look where the federal money is going Figure out where there might be holes in terms of needs in different areas of the state, programs in the state, and then, you know, fill those holes in with the limited state dollars we have. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how big, if, if at all, there are any holes after investing $10 billion into state and local government. Um, so keeping the state's powder dry uh, in terms of its resources is some advice we're sharing with uh, legislators. Another piece related to the education dollars that are coming in, the formula Congress used uh, is very much uh, biases some school districts over other school districts. And our advice there is to use the state dollars to kind of smooth out that uh, distortion that the, the federal governments use, the formula that they've used to allocate the resources. So, again, keep the state dollars for filling in for federal holes. 
Craig Thiel, you've given us a great overview of what's going on uh, with the COVID-19 relief money both this year and next. Thank you so much, Craig Thiel, the Citizens Research Council, for being our guest. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Bill. We'll be back next week with still more. You can count on it.